Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out all the very many things we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got another founder's story for you, and our guest is Ben Anderson, the founder of Icelandic Skis. This is a terrific story, and I admit, and as you'll hear, I found myself at times thinking, Ben is the luckiest person in the world, and then at other times I found myself thinking, why is Ben so calm? He should be freaking out way more than he is at certain points in this Icelandic journey. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really think you will too, because Ben's passion and enthusiasm, I think, are pretty infectious, and his vision is, I think, pretty impressive. This episode is presented by our Blister Plus membership, which comes with all the benefits of a standard Blister membership, including our personalized gear recommendations, discounts on gear and services from a ton of different brands and some of our recommended shops, access to our flash reviews and our incredibly valuable deep dive comparisons, and Blister Plus comes with injury insurance, $25,000 worth of injury insurance for the next time. You bang yourself up skiing or snowboarding or mountain biking or biking of any kind, running, climbing, boating, kayaking, fishing, Ben, hey Ben, even fishing, you're covered, and more. Blister Plus works with your insurance if you have a high deductible like I do and virtually everybody I know has, but it also works if you currently don't have any insurance which is huge. Finally, this Blister Plus coverage works for residents of any country, anywhere in the world, and that coverage works anywhere in the world. So we will include a link to this Blister Plus membership and coverage in the show notes of this episode. Please, everybody, check this out, because the next time you wreck or get injured, well, we don't want to see your wallet get wrecked too. And now, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Icelandic's Ben Anderson. Here we go. Ben Anderson, how are you today and where are you today? Oh, life is good. I'm um, up in Whitefish, Montana, just kind of settling in. Uh, moved up here a couple years ago. Just a really good life decision. You know, found the love of my life up here, who's actually from Evergreen, where I grew up in Colorado. Small world. Never met there, but met up here at her sushi restaurant and have a baby now. And yeah, life is life is good. Wow, you are fully adulting. I am fully adulting. I waited till I was forty, so I think it's it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, man. We were just talking a minute ago. I feel like every time I get on this stupid podcast, I talk about like the places I haven't been, and I somehow have not been to Whitefish, which again feels like I am absolutely doing it wrong. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Some someday now, you know, I now that I know I have this, you know, adult friend out there, 
as well as one of our senior bike people, Noah Bodman, out there. I think that's excuse enough. That's reason enough to to make it make a trip. A hundred percent. Yeah, come on up. I mean, it's an amazing place in the world for sure. It's yeah, thirty minutes. You know, about thirty miles from Canada, which is great. And there's just so much water here. I mean, the skiing's amazing. It's you know right here, fifteen minutes away. So a good change of pace from Front Range, Colorado. And then the summers. I'd been coming up here skiing for about like seven or eight years with some high school buddies. So I was really familiar with the mountain and you know everything that had to offer. But then a few years ago, I came up for the summer for the first time, and it just blew my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, everything is right here, and just so much water. I mean, lakes and rivers. And I mean, we are literally submerging in a different body of water almost every day. It's, it's amazing. Good for you. And now a good place to raise a family. <laughs> and a good place to raise a family. How, how young is the kid? Um, she is 10 months now. So almost a year wow. old, which is just, yeah, it's been a whirlwind to say the least, but it's been really good just where I am in life and, um, just how I've kind of taken this all in stride. It's been such a cool experience. And it's the time flies though. The fact that she's already 10 months is nuts. We were talking the other night how when she was nine months old, it was like, wow, she's as old as you were. Like the length that she's been alive is the length that Tiffany was when being pregnant. And like the pregnancy felt like it was forever. And then these last nine months or 10 months now, it's like just a whirlwind. Flying, huh? But yeah, loving it. Good on you, man. Happy to hear it. Well, hey, our business today is to kind of talk about all things Icelandic. And I think this is pretty timely because while most self-respecting skiers, I feel like certainly know Icelandic as a brand, I have a hunch that there's a lot of the details and backstory that maybe is less familiar to a number of people. So I, I'm looking forward to walking through um, kind of some of the past, present, and, you know, forward trajectory uh, of the company with you. And maybe this is a good place to start then. When somebody asks you, well, what is Icelandic? What's your answer? Yeah, I mean, I really think it's a combination of, I mean, it's a ski company, obviously, you know, ski manufacturer, you know, based in Colorado. Um, but it's also a community. I mean, it's been amazing just how we've built this brand and the range of people that we've attracted to be a part of it. You know, I think when I look at just humanity in general, it's like people want to be a part of something. So, you know, when we created Icelandic, it was a way to, um, you know, build this network and build this community around the idea of skiing and been building skis. Um, but it's been so cool just to see how that's continued to grow and from, you know, attracting some of my core friends to kind of help start this business. And then, you know, from there, how it's just grown to the outer community, um, both in this industry and then, you know, throughout the greater Colorado and, um, you know, just community worldwide. So, you know, it's, it's a real, I think that's one of the real differentiators about our brand is just how we really engage with the customer and um, really have them be a part of what we're doing compared to just being on the outside looking in. Tell us more about your own background. Yeah, I mean, I was, um, I was born in Ohio, you know, I moved out to Colorado when I was about 10. Um, such a good life change. I can't even imagine not growing up in Colorado. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Evergreen, Colorado, you know, just west of Denver, about 30 minutes up in the mountains. Um, and like I said, it was just such a huge life change, you know, kind of those transformative years, you know, going, transitioning from, you know, elementary into middle school and then through high school. Um, just, you know, I'd always been a skier. I, you know, I grew up 
uh, you know, I learned to ski in Michigan, like at Boyne when I was like two or whatever. So, you know, I'd, I'd been skiing before, but going to Colorado was always a dream. So we made that move and, um, it kind of blew my expectations out of the water. You know, I always think of like, how, what would my life, how would my life turned out if we didn't make that move as a family? Um, so yeah, I grew up in Evergreen, uh, just west of Denver and, um, you know, just kind of did everything outdoors, you know, from camping, biking, climbing, skiing, um, kind of dabbled. I mean, skiing was the one thing that was consistent in the winters. I was always a skier and that was what I always did. And then in the summers I would kind of hop around with different hobbies. It's like this year I'm into climbing, this year I'm into biking, this year I'm into, you know, backpacking or fishing or whatever it may be. So, um, I just loved that experience and really just kind of shaped me during, you know, that transition of childhood into, into adulthood and now kind of making a livelihood out of it. Right. Where did you ski the most growing up? Loveland, um, you know, Loveland ski area, it was in Clear Creek County. So, um, I lived in Evergreen, but it was in Clear Creek County. So just we were on kind of the Western side of Evergreen, um, and it was pretty cool when we were kids, they had a program called Snow Dodgers, where every Saturday they had buses that would, you know, we'd go down to King Murphy, the elementary school, and our parents would drop us off and we'd get the bus up. And, um, you know, at a certain age, you had to take lessons, you know, for half the day, and then you'd have free skiing. And then, you know, as you grew up, I think by the time you were in middle school, uh, you had like kind of full reign to go and just ski all over. So, um yeah, that was kind of the the staple every Saturday, kind of going up to Loveland and, um, you know, the friendships that we built up there and just the experiences that we had. It was it was such a cool, cool place. And I still love it. You know, like when I'm in Colorado Front Range, it's like that's where I'm skiing. You know, it's it's just easy to access. It's just, you know, compared to a lot of the resorts on the Front Range, which I love on a lot of levels, but it's a lot of energy and just a lot to do to just to go skiing there where Loveland is just so easy to access and has great terrain and they keep growing it. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to see like how they continue to expand that mountain and the terrain that you're starting to be able to access. So you said growing up there was skiing that was kind of a staple, but then you were, you know, dabbling at least in all of these other mountain sports. Did you as a kid ever kind of shake out into your kind of a clear ranking of like, if, if skiing was number one, I don't know, mountain biking or climbing second, third, did those ever kind of get ranked or were you still just cycling through the whole time? And then related question, what about these days? Yeah. I mean, I think it was more of kind of like cycling through. It wasn't like a specific thing over the summer. It was kind of just do everything. It's like, okay, we're going fishing this day. We're going to go, you know, biking, or we were doing like a lot of BMX biking, like kind of like on some dirt roads and that type of stuff. We were building jumps, BMX. Um, in, in high school, I was climbing a bunch. Like that was kind of my biggest focus was climbing in high school. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, you know, went through mountain biking phases as well. Um, and now it's come full circle where right now it's like, I'm fishing. That is, that is definitely my favorite summer hobby. I'm obsessed right now. It was kind of during COVID. I was like, okay, it was the first winter that I hadn't traveled. And it was like, you know, kind of put in perspective the front range Colorado and just getting to the mountains and that side. And I was like, I don't know if I want to deal with this. And I was just fishing pretty much all winter too. You know, that first year, I think I skied like 15 to 20 days, but I fished like a hundred. So it was, it was a pretty big, uh, big shift right there in terms of passions. Um, but yeah, fishing right now for sure, you know, hiking, I have a dirt bike too. So, you know, dirt biking as well, but, um, overall I love just being on the water. It's pretty fun how these things shift for us 
and we can just get obsessed with a different form of being outside or whatever. And I, I actually love that. I, you know, there's no rule where, you know, these things can't shift or whatever. So I don't know. It's pretty fun just seeing somebody fired up about a different aspect of the outdoors and, and diving into all of that. Yeah. I mean, just being outside is the key. You know what I mean? It's like, as long as you continue to spend your time in the outdoors, in nature, just how healthy that is on so many different levels, you know? So it's fun to kind of just see the difference. It has been crazy just kind of transitioning into the, into fishing too, of just like being a regular consumer, you know, being in the ski industry for, I mean, 20 years now, 20 plus years, it's like you get all the perks, you're getting deals, you're, you know, you just get that true experience. And now I'm on the fishing side, I'm like walking into the retailer and buying product. And, you know, it's like I spent a lot of money on fishing gear, <laughs> but worth it. <laughs> so when did you first have that kernel of a thought? Like, I think I might maybe start a ski company someday. Gosh, you know, it was actually in high school, kind of like middle, I think I was about a sophomore, you know, midway through high school is when I kind of had that reality of just like, I'm going to start a ski company. You know, I, you know, it was never a strategic decision. It was definitely passionate. I, you know, I was like, and at that time, everybody was snowboarding. I mean, this was in like the late nineties and it was, I mean, all my friends were snowboarding. Snowboarding was the coolest thing. And for some reason, I was just like, I stayed true to skiing and I was just like, I want to start a ski company. And I almost did then, you know, I started, I was putting together, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to do this now, you know, not really thinking about the realities of that. Um, and I started, you know, researching different designs and, you know, how to build skis and, you know, the, the name of the company was going to be called Mystic. So it was like, I had my buddy, uh, Travis, like draw a wizard, uh, logo. And yeah, it was pretty funny. And then, then I kind of came to the realization that I was like 15, you know, I was like, I didn't even know how to drive. <laughs> so like, I got a lot of learning to do, but it was kind of at that point though, where I was like, I committed to the idea, you know, I was like, no, nope, this is what I'm going to do. So, you know, through finishing high school into, um, you know, going into college, it was like, I was very focused. Like this is going to be my trajectory. I'm, I'm, though I can't do it right now, or I'm not going to commit to it right now. I'm. This is the path that I'm going to take. That's fascinating. So, yeah. I mean, you're 15, but were you sort of surveying the landscape, and was it like, oh, you know, look at this young kind of burgeoning free ride culture out there, or from where you were, were you like, I don't know, I I only see snowboard companies that are cool right now. Um, what was that landscape like for you, for you personally? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was just kind of a gut feeling more than anything, you know, because it was kind of right at that cusp where like, you know, the 1080s were starting. I mean, that was even a little bit later. So it was even before that. It was like right when some of those first kind of like ski films, you know, like I remember like seeing like um, global storming from um, MSP and like some of these old, I can't remember, like some of these older like you know, more freestyle ski movies. I was like, whoa, this is super cool. Um, so it was kind of just on that cusp, but overall it was really just like, I loved skiing and I was like, I'd love to try to make some skis. <laughs> you know, like didn't really have much more than that. I didn't really like see a big opportunity on the market or anything like that. I think I just kind of trusted the, um, the vision and just like this commitment and being like, all right, I think if we do this or if I do this, like, I'll make it cool <laughs> or something. I don't know. 
So you're 15. You're like, I'm going to start a ski company someday. Maybe not today. Did that actually start to influence your course of study or your interest in certain topics? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I started looking at like, how do I pursue this idea? You know, I was like, I knew I didn't really just want to go to like business school and learn how to, you know, run a business. So I was like, I feel like I could learn that different ways. So I was looking into different things that I could study. And um, I learned about industrial design. Um, well, I guess it, the guy who triggered that was, I guess, initially, what I, I found out was when I was a senior, I ended up um, graduating at semester at school, I kind of figured it out if like if I took all AP classes, I'd have enough credit at some and then had to take like econ and government the same semester. I figured it out like credit wise. I'm like, if I do all these classes, I'm gonna have enough credits at semester to graduate. So I did that and uh I'll never forget just like checking out a class. You know, I'm going to all the teachers like signing out at the semester and they're just like, what? You know, like you're not even gonna take the AP test for credit and all of a sudden I'm like, nope, I'm done, you know. So I ended up graduating that semester and the second semester of my senior year, I uh, met these two brothers in Boulder um, that were just building skis in their backyard. It was literally like a tough shed that they had. It was more of a hobby that they were just building skis. And I can't even remember how I heard about them or got in contact with them, but I pretty much called them up and was just like, you know, I'd love to learn this process, you know, how to, how to build skis. And they were like, sounds great. So I got to go down there about once a week and they're the ones who really just showed me um, that process of building skis. You know, what were the materials needed? What were the, um, the tools needed? And then just the process itself. Um, and the guy, Josh, he had studied industrial design and um, just at Metro in Denver. And he was like, oh, you need to, um, you should check out this program. It'll teach you how to do all the CAD work and just like, it's a product design focus. And I was like, oh, this feels perfect. So I started looking at different schools that had um, that program. And I found up in um, Bellingham, Western Washington University, uh, they had a great program, like one of the best industrial design programs in the country. Um, it was also the year that Mount Baker had the world record for snowfall. So I remember going to check out the school and I went skiing up at Baker. I was like, oh, this is definitely where I want to go. You know, there's like over 900 inches. Like it was insane. So, um, yeah, so I ended up going to school up there uh, to study industrial design, you know, after that kind of the six month period with um, in Boulder, kind of learning that process. And it was good, but I mean, I, I went to school and I just like really just dove into all the design classes. I mean, my first semester was like all design classes and I just started learning it and, you know, eating that up. And then going into my second year, it kind of, you know, was kind of the reality check of all the other stuff I had to do, you know, all the prereqs and, you know, all of that. So I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? So, uh, yeah, about halfway through my second year, I was just like, I'm done. You know, I was like, I know what I want to do. I was like already committed to this idea. And I was just like, I feel like I could learn what I need other ways. So yeah, I remember I took an, it was an e-contest. I remember it was like an e-contest. It was like the hardest I'd studied for a test. I was always a pretty good student, you know, like got good grades in high school. And, um, but I was always kind of just like, you know, <laughs> working my way through it. I wasn't fully committed as you could see, but, um, yeah, it was like one of the hardest I'd studied for a test and the first one that I had failed. And I was just like, what? I was just like, and I got it back and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is not worth it. And I just set the paper down and walked out of class and parents called my parents and said, I'm done. I'm going to start the ski company. Now, 
Most obvious follow-up question in the history of every conversation I've ever had. (laughs) How did that conversation go with your folks? You know, it actually went surprisingly well. You know, they kind of started laughing. They're just like, we kind of knew it. You know, they could see the drive that I had, you know, in high school. They saw me putting together the plans for mystic you know what i mean so they saw the commitment that i had to this goal or to this vision um so they they supported the decision you know and i look back on that and that was just so huge you know like you know not not supporting me in a way of telling me how to do it or you know financially or you know anything like that but just like trusting me and being like okay like this isn't your path you know I'm like, I'm spending a lot of money to go to school. And like, I just rather put my energy and, and money into a different path. And uh, so, yeah, it actually went pretty smooth. <laughs> they, they, they agreed to it. Um, and it was kind of nice, too, because it, since it was that semester, I was in a lease out in Washington. So I ended up staying in Washington for the next like six months or so um, and just continued to learn the CAD programs. You know, I went to the library and got a bunch more books on just like how to use AutoCAD and Rhino is like kind of a 3D rendering uh, program. But I continued just to learn those programs kind of self-taught that year or the rest of that year. And when I was up there, I got in contact. I can't remember how I got in contact with him, but he was one of the, um, he worked at K2, like down in the snowboard graphics department. Um, and it was when they were ba- based on Bashan Island. So I contacted them and I was like, hey, I'd love to, um, you know, come down and just kind of see what you guys are, are doing. So he was great. He's like, come on down. And I'd go down there to Bashan about once a week. And, you know, it wasn't an official internship or anything like that, but pretty much every time I'd go, he'd just bring me to a different department. And I'd get to sit down with these people for about, you know, two to three hours of open question. It was insane. It was such good access. Um, and just a perspective, like the cycle of this industry, what are the sales cycles? And just, I mean, one of the biggest things I saw too, was just that work environment. I'm like, it was one of the most fun, creative work environments I'd ever been a part of. I mean, I walked in like, we don't really like to walk around here. Give me like a long board. So we're just like skateboarding through the offices and, you know, got to sit down, you know, with the marketing team and the sales team and the the CEO, the product team and, you know, finance, you know, like all of these pieces and really just got an inside look for, you know, at how this industry operates. Um, and I must, they're probably like, what, you know, like I was like, you know, 20, maybe, you know, 19 or 20. I'm like, yeah, I'm starting a ski company. And they're like, awesome. You know, like it, it was so fresh and that, you know, it's funny to think about how they opened up to me. That's a that's like actually amazing. I would have been like, we're too busy. Get the fuck out of here. I know, totally. This guy was awesome. I, I you know, it's funny. Like, I can't even remember what his name was, which is terrible. But that's I remember I saw him though. Like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard about you. <laughs> this guy. I mean, what an amazing. Like, you drop out of school, and then you have like the most perfect experience of shout out to K two. Like, hey, come through. Like, let's we'll help you out in your in all of those different aspects of the business. That's like actually gold. It was. I mean, it was unbelievable, and it was cool too because I saw the um, graphics guy. This was probably like I don't know five or six years later. It was like we were on the market at that time. You know, it's probably our first like. I don't know, within the first five years of the business, but he came up to the booth and he's just like, oh my gosh, you did it. You know, like, you know, he didn't know what to expect. It could have just been all BS, but um, yep. He's like, he was so pumped to see that I actually took this idea and brought it to life. And he loved the graphics too. He was a graphics guy. So he's like, I love that you're really investing in the arts. (laughs) So that worked out perfect too. (laughs) 
That's really amazing. And what a cool story. And I, I'd like to say, I feel like I've heard enough anecdotes. I don't, so I don't know if this counts as a generalization or not, but, um, I do feel like I've heard enough anecdotes around like the ski and snowboard industries where hungry, bright people who, you know, don't look like a junk show, you know, that companies are pretty willing to provide some advice, help out a bit. I mean, again, I don't know that I can really say that that's a generalization of the industry. You can probably speak to that better, but, um, that's a hell of a, that's a really cool story. Oh, it's been huge. And I I do it now too. You know, it's so nice just to be able to open up anybody who comes to me for input or thoughts, whether it's a competitive brand or someone who's looking at starting a new company of some sort, whether it's in the ski industry or not, like how I help now, it's just like, there's no questions. I'm I'm an open book, you know? Well, don't (laughs) call me. (laughs) Yeah. But it's pretty (laughs) true though. Like even to this day, like I have so many, um, people reach out or just, I don't know, ask about the challenges or just like how, you know, people always ask like, how did you do this? How did you bring this life? And I mean, I think the answer is pretty simple. It's like, I just committed a hundred percent, you know, it's like it, you learn along the way, but that just that commitment, you know, it's a basic concept, but um, it can be scary. You know, there's no, there's no backup plan, you know? Okay. So you have an incredible opportunity to kind of learn some of the ropes with K2 and then what are the next steps? I mean, you, you're in the Pacific Northwest at that point. You decide to bring things back to Colorado and, and set up shop there. Talk, talk a bit about that part of the enterprise. Yeah. So about, you know, after those six months, you know, I ended up moving back to Colorado um, and it was perfect because those guys in Boulder um, that, that kind of taught me the process of how to make skis, they stopped making skis. Um, they both got in the auto industry and were doing different things, but um, they had all the equipment. So, and they pretty much gave it to me. I mean, I paid them like 1200 bucks or something. It should have cost me like 40 grand. So like they really hooked me up. Um, so yeah, I mean, so I got all the equipment needed and, you know, you know, made my own um, molds and everything like that, but really just got to take everything and set up shop in my parents' garage. And, you know, I just kind of pressed skis for about three years. You know, at this time too, pretty much after I called my parents and told them I was going to go to school, I called Parr, Travis Parr, our artist and co-founder. And uh, he, we both grew up together in Colorado and he was going to art school down in Laguna Beach. Um, same type of thing. Like he never even really took an art class and, you know, did it as a senior and getting a scholarship and, you know, kind of changed his life. So he was in Laguna at the time and um, he had, you know, heard about this idea since high school as well. And so I called him after talking to my parents and was like, Hey, I'm done with school. Like I'm committing to this idea. You know, do you want to help me, you know, come up with a name and logo and, you know, potentially do artwork on the skis. Um, And he's like, this sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. So it was kind of perfect. So when I went back to Colorado and just kind of pressed skis for a few years, he was finishing school in Laguna. So during that time he was finishing up school, I was prototyping skis. And then that's when we just kind of go back and forth. We were connecting all the time, just like, you know, trying to figure out like, what do we name this thing? What's our logos? And, you know, then kind of building, he, he was kind of the, the main person that I was working with during that time. Um, you know, just Icelandic, the name, you know, it was literally just like his old girlfriend that came up with it. We were like trying to talk like, what should we name this thing? And, you know, like we want something cold is what we were kind of thinking. Like we want something cold feeling. And 
we were looking at different like snow gods and you know all that type of stuff and nothing was really sticking and then um Lindsay was her name she was just in the background she's like what about Icelandic and we're like what did she say it was like Icelandic and I was like that's it <laughs> like, and it just stuck I was like yep Icelandic and then we were trying to figure out our, our logo we're like we want to create like a symbol or a logo that would go along with it and uh you know, I, at first I was kind of given pretty generic ideas, like, let's do like a snowy tree or, you know, something like that. And then one time I got a call from Parr and he's just like, I got it. He's like, I'm in the library reading science books. And at first I'm like, what? You know, like you're in art school. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, one degree Celsius. And he goes off how one degree, you know, it's the transition from water to ice. So like, you know, it's frozen at zero, but that first like molecular change happens at one degree and it just like hit We're like, that's perfect. Like it's it just aligned. It was like, yep, the temperature of the magic, the temperature of change, you know, one degree Celsius. So yeah, so I guess, you know, I was just back in Colorado, you know, brainstorming with Par and kind of conceptualizing the business and the brand itself and then and then just pressing skis and that was a humbling experience to say the least. I mean, it was a lot different uh, you know, pressing on myself compared to just like going and helping somebody. So, I mean, I'd literally build a pair and take it up until it would just explode. And I mean, I had a lot of just like full speed D land. So like rip the bindings out or something, you know, it was like a lot of learning the hard way, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I was trying to put like Kevlar in the skis for a while, but then I found out that like Kevlar wicks in moisture, <laughs> and like, you know, a lot of like little things trying to get like the different layers to bond properly. Uh, you know, people would ask me like, oh, could I try a pair? I'd be like, hell no. <laughs> you know, we, are not, we are not even close <laughs> to that. We don't have the liability insurance for that just yet, given that there's a high likelihood that these might just explode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and remind me, so what year slash years is this when you're pressing and working through the name and, and, and logo? That was like 2002 two to 2004 it's kind of like those last couple of years i was in washington from 2000 like we graduated in 2000 i was there till about 2002 and then 2002 to 2004 is kind of like when we were in that phase um and then after that like i had come up with a good design you know felt comfortable with the shapes and the, con and the construction that's when travis was graduating um and then we had another friend travis cook who um went to he went to architecture school out in uh at lehigh but he was he was a year older so he had come back to colorado and was kind of helping me kind of conceptualize some of the shapes and concepts there um and he uh yeah he his mom had built this studio um this like little cabin that like they let us come in she's like hey if you guys want to come in and kind of build this out you can live in it and work in it so we went out to Laguna and talked Par into moving back and uh, after graduating and uh, kind of helped kind of launch this business. You know, his parents weren't too excited at the time. You know, he had job offers coming out of school, you know, with like good salary out of art school. You know? yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, yeah. I think I'm going to do this. So <laughs> and it was the right decision, though. So, yeah, he came back and we just set up shop in this uh, this little spot up in Evergreen and we called it the brain. It was just like this really, you know, we joked, we like worked. 10 feet apart and slept like five feet apart. We just had this like little spot that we just kind of, it was just a super creative space that we kind of like, you know, that's where we really tightened it up, you know, wrote business plans, got funding, um, you know, worked on manufacturing, a whole variety of things, like really much prepping the brand to get to market. 
So then 2006 was our first year like on the market. So the 0506 um, SIA was kind of like when we unveiled or launched the brand in Vegas that year. And that was, that was crazy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, well, we'll get there in a minute. Yeah, totally. How did you all go about the funding part of this, right? I'm just thinking of anyone listening to this is like, how does somebody actually launch a ski company? Talk a bit about that side and what you learned and maybe what you would do different now or discuss that part of this. Yeah. I mean, I had a kind of a crazy experience. Like at first it was like, okay, how do we, first of all, I was oblivious to the costs of starting a ski company. Probably, probably good. Grand. You know, I was like, no, I was like, need more than a hundred grand. But um, luckily I was, you know, working with a family out in the Midwest. So like my great grandpa started a company called the Andersons, you know, they had a grain operation. And then they had set up a separate LLC that was kind of investing in different pieces. So I was like, oh, I need to go. And I went out and like presented like this opportunity to invest in Icelandic to that uh, board at the time. And uh, I'll never forget on the flight out there, though, I was like asking for like, I think I was looking for 100 grand. And I was flying out and I get on the plane and I sit next to this woman. She's probably in her like 60s, 70s. And we start talking and I'm just like so excited. I bust out my business plan. I'm like, yeah, check it out. I'm starting the ski company and whatever. And I showed her like, you know, Par had done like the first like painting, you know, for the, one of our first skis. And it was like on the back image. She just loved it. She's like, this is amazing. And she just loved my passion and we get off the plane and she came up and she's like, Hey, I just really want to let this come to like, see this come to life. And she gave me a check for 10 grand, no strings attached. What? <laughs> yeah. She's like, 10 grand. <laughs> and She's like, if you want, you can send me a print of this artwork for my like lodge in Montana. I was like, perfect. So then I went into the, you know, the presentation to get the funding and we start talking, you know, and it's funny. Like when you look at the ski industry, you look at the numbers, you know, I was like, why are you trying to get in this industry? You know, it's so competitive. There's no growth. Like, it's just like, it's a very cutthroat tough industry to get into. So like as an outsider looking in, I was like, why am I going to invest in something to get in this industry? So I was like starting to like give my pitch or whatever and stop. I was like, so how much are you looking for? I was like hundred grand, but I actually got 10 grand on the flight. So I'm only looking for 90 now. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah. I thought you'd be like, I just have people handing me $10,000 checks. So now I'm asking for 10 million. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man. But yeah, so I mean, it's been funded like that since the beginning. So like, you know, luckily we worked with this family um, entity you know, to fund Icelandic. Um, and then I don't know how many years it's been, you know, where like probably like seven or eight years or we haven't used any funding or anything like that. But now we're in the process of kind of like bu buying them back and, you know, working towards becoming fully employee owned, which would be huge. So it's a little bit. I got to go. Future. I got to yeah. go back for one second to the, <laughs> the woman who handed you a check for $10,000. Was this to did she get an equity piece or was this like good no. luck and send me something to hang on my wall? Yeah. She's like, I love this, you know, send me a <laughs> picture of this from my you know, place in Montana and just like, good luck. You know, she just like loved, she just wanted to invest in division. That's when I was like, all right, we're on to something here. <laughs> While we've been talking, I swear to you, like 10 minutes ago, I was like, I think we might just title this episode like Ben Anderson's charmed life. 
And then you start you everything you say only makes me want to call the episode, you know, <laughs> yeah. that even more. It's That's amazing. Crazy. I know. Yeah, like just right place, right time. Like I don't even know. Just being confident and passionate and open about what we're doing. And yeah, it, it really uh it worked. My goodness. I so know, yeah, yeah. Basically, kids, starting your own company is a super easy thing to do. And just do it, it and everything will you know, yeah. I look back on this, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was literally like 20 years old, you know, maybe 21 at that time. And it was just like, you know, I see 21 year olds now. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're like, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust you to walk my dog. No. Um. Okay. This is amazing. So funding that seemed to go pretty well. Like, you know, every other part of this whole story so far. So then let's get back to manufacturing. So you've been, you know, spending your time with a ski press, pick up, well, wait a sec. Do we start talking about this or do we talk about the first trade show in Vegas? <laughs> yeah, we could talk about this first trade. It'll be quick, but it was just okay. funny. Like our, when we were building the booth, you know, we we're getting so prepared. We're like, okay, we're getting ready to launch this brand. You know, we got to really stand out. We had a, like a 20 by 10 booth. And we're like, all right, how are we going to do it? We're like, all right, first objective, this booth could not fall down. <laughs> so we just like overdid it. I mean, it was like custom built steel, you know, corners with like, we had 12 foot, you know, 12 inch diameter logs that we like, you know, shucked them ourselves, and like got a brand made where we're like branding the logo onto it. And then we had like a full size teepee in the corner of the booth that Par painted. And we're like, this is where all the meetings are going to happen, you know? And I showed up with a whole ream of order forms, <laughs> you know, thousands of order forms. We didn't use one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> we're like, all right, the TP is going to be for all the meetings that we're going to get all these deals done. No, we pretty much just did shots of tequila in the, in the TPs. And everyone thought we were selling TPs. It was hilarious. <laughs> They'd walk up like, hey, uh, can I get a price list for these tents? You know, <laughs> like, what? No, but check this out, you know. So it, it put us on the map, but people were just so confused. And then, and then the best part is too, we took the same booth and brought it to the regional show. There's like the WWSRA shows, and uh, we thought it was kind of the same thing. It was like, oh, it's just another trade show, so we'll set up our booth and do our thing. We go down to the convention center in Denver, and we set up this booth, and everyone's looking at us like, what are you guys doing? You know, we're literally next to all the reps with like their tables and grid wall behind them, you know, but it got everyone's attention. We opened Gorsuch that year. <laughs> they came by they're like, this is amazing. You guys. So yeah, Gorsuch was like one of our first accounts. Wow. <laughs> but then they dropped us about a year later because <laughs> we didn't have product. It was like, no. <laughs> and that's when we figured out we needed to find a manufacturer. <laughs> I guess that's a good, good thing is like, yep. Got to well, well, I mean, okay, well, we went from Ben's Charmed Life, and of course, as soon as I said that, I apparently jinxed things, because <laughs> yeah. you, you set up, you're coming in, your first trade show, you overbuild your whole booth, and then literally zero orders are placed. Yeah, so at that time, um, I had worked with a company, like, I knew I needed to find a manufacturer to build our product. You know, I was like, I'm not going to build them in the garage, go to market, um, you know, Growing up with, you know, in Colorado, I knew the Never Summer brand. It was like, and, and, and at that time, it was the coolest. I mean, it was like when they were really just, you know, it's kind of their start too. I mean, they're about 10 years older than us, but um, it was like the coolest thing in town. Everyone knew it. I knew the quality that they were making. I knew just the durability. 
and the fact that it was in Denver. So I was like, this is who needs to make our skis. You know, I first started talking to them and at first they're like, we're content. You know, we don't need to make product for anybody else. You know, we have a sustainable company. We don't need to make product for anybody else, you know, and then they were a little bit, you know, hesitant to make skis too. They started listening a little bit more, but they were like, I don't know if we should make skis. They just didn't know how their core market would react to hear if they were making skis. Um, so this process, I mean, but through just like continuing to be, I mean, I was going down there once a week, you know, it was like, it was so intense, just like trying to talk him into doing it, you know, but it took me about a year and a half to convince him to do it. And, uh, you know, finally they kind of saw what we were doing. They got aligned, like, you know, this makes sense. Let's do it. You know? So they committed and it's just turned into such a good relationship, but kind of in that span, the, in between that, I was like, okay, we got to find someone to make these skis. And there was this guy, BJ Slater, it's called Slater manufacturing in Denver. And it was just like this guy who had a little ski shop of some sort. And it was a nightmare. I mean, that first year, you know, when I say we lost Gorsuch, I mean, we did end up getting some orders that year, probably like, I don't know, hundred pairs it was like bent gate and golden. They were like one of our first ones. Um, Gorsuch. I can't remember. There's a handful of shops around the country that placed orders. Um, so I, you know, I placed the production PO for a couple hundred pairs, you know, so I, and you know, we didn't have money. So it was like, gave them all that money, you know, ordered a couple hundred pairs, you know, the next year I got about 30 pairs delivered and, you know, five of them were skiable. It was just like a nightmare. So like we couldn't really deliver to shops. It was just like, oh my God, this is terrible. What are we going to do? I'm like tracking down this guy, BJ, trying to get money back. I mean, it was a nightmare. Um, but during that time is when, you know, Never Summer, you know, during that time, Never Summer committed to the idea. And um, yeah, it just, it, like I said, that changed everything. It was like, okay, now we have legitimate manufacturing in Denver, you know, because that's what I was passionate about. You know, just the design, the building it was like, you know, I was looking overseas a little bit, you know, Lawn and um, Atomic a little bit, but it was like, we were so small, you know, and like, I don't know. And it's across the country, across the world. And it was just like, ah, I don't know if this makes sense, you know? And I just, I really felt that Never Summer was the one. So when they committed, it was like, this is huge, you know, not only is it 15 minutes away, but you know, it just allows us to continue to take that hands-on approach to the manufacturing side, you know, just checking on production and making changes and, and really just like, having a personal relationship with the people building the skis. You know what I mean? Like that goes such a long ways. So really grateful for that relationship. But interestingly, you know, just before I started Blister and then, you know, we launched Blister in January, 2011, there still was for me a bit of like, wait a second, a snowboard company is building these skis. And, you know, I didn't know the backstory then. And, you know, what I think is interesting now is we are seeing more companies building both. And, like, I'm all for that. I never was in any part of this, like, anti-snowboard thing. And I talk explicitly about that's got to be the stupidest beef in the history of all beefs, right? Like that, so, you know, but I, I remember, you know, just thinking, wait, I don't really know the backstory here, but wait, are, are these guys just putting interesting looking artwork on some stuff, but they don't actually know or care about the skis themselves. And so it's really interesting actually for the first time for me to hear, like, I want to do this since I was 15. I went and studied industrial design. I bounced out of there and, and to hear the whole backstory into the 
I bought the, you know, presses. I was pressing my own stuff. We just got to a point where we're like, Never Summer's really good at manufacturing. And you were like, I know, or I feel like, believe this is the the right folks to be making a good product called Icelandic. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, it, it is different. There's a, you know, just the manufacturing side, a lot, there's a lot of similarities, you know, the overall process is the same, you know, like a lot of times the materials that you're using, you know, are the same. It's, it's in a different like layout and there's, you know, little things that are different, but overall to build skis and build snowboards, it's the same process. Um, there are a couple different key differences. The first one is like, it kind of takes twice as much work to build a pair of skis. You know, it's like, besides the actual pressing, you know, all the prep work, the finishing, it's, it's two snowboards that you're doing. So, you know, in terms of efficiencies, it's not nearly as efficient as a snowboard. So that's been a learning process for them in the factory and for us. Um, and then the second is tuning, you know, like the importance of a tune on a ski side versus a snowboard, you know, like stone ground, you know, ceramic disc edge, you know, just like, so that was kind of the, um, the biggest learning curve that we've been working, you know, with over the years of just like, I knew that they were making a durable product that is going to, you know, last the test of time. And I knew they'd be able to deliver. So like, those are the two pieces that it was like, okay, that is a great foundation to build off of. Um, and th- they've been that since the beginning, you know, we've never had a year where they haven't delivered what we ordered. We were always delivering to our retailers on time. Product is available even through COVID. I mean, all of the challenges over the last, you know, 18 years. So there's been that, that consistency. And then also the durability that they're known for, you know, just like the skis are bomber. Like they can take a beating, you know, like we just don't even really deal with warranty. You know, it's like, it's pretty crazy. The, the overall durability. So like, that was kind of the the core foundation that we wanted to work with. Um, and then over years, it's been like, okay, now we need to really fine tune our processes, you know, both on an efficiency side, but also a, you know, a tuning and performance side. So when you get a pair coming out of the wrapper, you know, you're confident in it. And, you know, we've made huge progress over the years on that side, you know, um, both from the raw materials that we're using to the, the processes of finishing, you know, there's always still little hiccups, obviously. I mean, when you're, you know, pressing thousands and thousands of skis and snowboards, like to have everything super consistent, it's tough. And that's true with almost every factory, being honest, you know, like overall, um, but overall that consistency and just the um, the evolution is key, you know. Now it's like really working on continuing to look at efficiencies, you know, how do we continue to make skis, you know, easier while keeping the quality. So that's kind of the manufacturing side of things. What about the prototyping and development? How does that work today or how did it work then? Does it look the same today as it looked, you know, back when you started the partnership with Never Summers? What's that like? Yeah, I mean, I, in terms of like the CAD work, so we do a lot of the work with Tim, um, who's one of the owners of Never Summer. So in terms of the CAD, the actual like drawing the shapes and that type of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, we kind of have like a, a multi-step process to develop a new ski. You know, it's like, first of all, what are we trying to create? What's the segment we're going to, you know, place this product, you know? And then it's kind of like, what are the basic, you know, what's the basic geometry? Like how, what's the shapes, the shape concepts they want to do. So overall though, we will work with Tim um, at Never Summer to come down and you know, we'll process our thoughts, start getting stuff on CAD, start looking at radiuses and, you know, profiles and everything like that. Um, and 
in terms of the materials, you know, that's where we kind of branch off a little bit. You know, a lot of the sourcing we do together where, you know, the wood cores, the fiberglass, the, you know, a lot of the base material, a lot of the stuff like we can get at the same um, spot. But, you know, we do have the freedom. I mean, obviously have the freedom, but to look a little bit outside of that. And, you know, when we're looking at lightweight opportunities. Yeah, we were working with B-Comp over in Switzerland um, that was doing some really cool stuff with balsa and flax. And, you know, I was like, oh, this is cool. So, you know, starting to see different opportunities to bring in different raw materials or different um, products um, and integrated it into a process, into the, the process in the factory. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, we have the freedom and the opportunities to look outside of the box, but then we also have the resources right in-house to, you know, to do this prototyping and, you know, run, you know, multiple shapes or, you know, profiles, you know, a lot of times we'll start by just kind of like dialing in the overall geometry and the shape of the ski. Once we, once we feel like we have that, the radiuses, the rocker profiles, the camber, that type of stuff, like, okay, that's feeling really good. Then we'll kind of go into more of the, the flex and the profile of it. And, um, you know, it's amazing how you could, how much you change it just with, the profile of the core, you know, like how that's tapered, you know, is there a solid deck underfoot? Is it, a, a con, you know, more of a consistent radius? Um, so it's a lot of just trial and error, you know, like getting people on it, getting feedback, but we're so lucky to be able to, um, to turn over prototyping pretty quickly. And so these days, are you still heavily involved as you're thinking about, okay, we want to you know, develop a new ski or we think it's time to try to update, you know, a current ski. Are you involved in that process or is that some other folks on your team? Yeah. You know, I'm definitely still fully involved in it. Like that's, that's been the kind of the passion of like seeing these potentials and like, how does the line evolve over the years? Like how does our collection shift and change and what's the, you know, what's the long-term strategy of that? Um, it's been really fun though, over the last couple of years and this past year, especially with me moving to Montana, you know, like it's been a, it's been a big shift of like not being in Denver, being able to go to the factory every day, you know, or when, however often I needed to make these changes. So, uh, John, who work, I work with, you, you met John, yep. um, you know, just over the last few years, he's just been such a good employee and just like how he's grown in the business has been amazing. And this is something that he's been passionate about. So you know, this past year, there's been a big kind of passing of the torch to him being kind of that, that man on the ground, you know, um, just with, I mean, everything from quality control, design, you know, scheduling, purchase orders, all of it, really just this main, like the main connection at the factory. Um, though I still am too, you know, I'm flying back to Denver on Tuesday next week just to have meetings with them, start planning, I guess, 24, 25 that season. And, you know, kind of just, I'm definitely in, very involved with it and work closely with John now or, you know, to do that. But um, in terms of being on the ground and, you know, we're kind of in the process where we are in the process right now of kind of revamping our whole like nomad and maiden collection, which is huge. You know what I mean? Like that's been our bread and butter since year one, you know, and it's evolved a little bit over the years, but we're making some pretty big changes of it right now. And um it's like, all right, when we're doing this, we've got to do this right. You know, if you have, you ask half of our customers, maybe even more than half, you know, what do you think about it? Don't change it. Nothing's wrong. Just keep it, you know, keep it the same. It's like, oh, we need to change it. So, you know, really finding that balance of how do we evolve the ski? How do we make it truly make it better? Stay true to some of the core concepts that people love about it while making it, while bringing the next version of it. And it's been so fun to work with John on that 
execution and how we're working with, you know, and now really getting him and Tim at Never Summer working much closer together because I would kind of work with our team in the past to conceptualize, come up with the concepts, get the athlete feedback and all the stuff. But and then I'd go down and just have like a one-on-one and we'd do all the CAD work and do the design stuff with Tim at the factory, get more feedback. And so now like bringing John to the mix and, um, you know, now communicating with him and he's kind of going in and making these changes and, you know, executing the vision. It feels really good to, to be able to pass that on because truly it's like the last piece of this business that, I have it, you know, from when I started, it was, I was doing everything from sales to finance to marketing, all everything, you know, and like over the years, just as we've built this team, you know, being able to delegate and, and find people that are better at the specific role than you are, you know, it's, it's challenging. And this was kind of the, one of the last ones that I've been holding on tightly, you know, just like, and I'm still going to be very engaged, but just like, just purchase orders, you know, like projecting and Placing production orders, which is, you know, there's millions of dollars, you know, that's not just like a little like, oh, yeah, we'll order some skis. It's like you got to be very strategic and um, and drive that. And that's where it's been really fun to, like, give him that control. So, like, this past year, John, write the PO before we send it in. Let's get on a call. Let's go over it. And I just want to see how you're processing it. Um, and he's been doing a really good job just kind of, like, thinking through that. Um there's a variety of reasons why too. I mean, I guess in the past, you know, at least, I mean, the first 10 years of our business and even to this day, like almost all of our purchasing decisions are made on pre-book wholesale, you know, our, our wholesale orders, what's coming in, how are we doing? How much extra do we want to make? We wouldn't really, you know, and I would make those decisions based off that and kind of like what we had sold the previous year and, you know, with some opportunity to grow, you know, over the last five years, how much our direct-to-consumer business continues to grow, both online and then our retail space in Golden, you know, it's like there's so much opportunity to like really start analyzing those numbers and seeing like where are we missing opportunity, where is there opportunity to grow. So um, for someone to have the bandwidth to start digesting that information as well in conjunction with, you know, all of the wholesale data that we get, um, I think it's just going to really make this purchasing, you know, process even even smoother let's talk about expanding into other product lines this is something that you have done a good bit of i'd argue for what we kind of would classify as kind of like indie companies i think you've done it more than most actually i think that's still probably fair to say thoughts on that what have you learned from that any big takeaways? Is it just all try to like, you get excited about something? Let's go for it, team. If the rest of the team maybe is behind it, some trial and error, talk a bit about it. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely had up highs and lows with that. You know, like the, the skis have always been just like our core product or core business, you know, the biggest generator. You know, we'd always done some apparel, you know, whatever, just to promote the brand and that type of stuff from, you know, me ironing t-shirts when I first started to, you know, just starting the apparel side, you know, I can't remember how many years ago it was when we, we started making boots and that was a terrible mistake. <laughs> like I don't know what we were thinking. I mean, luckily we didn't lose money doing it, but like that was a perfect example of something that I got excited about. We didn't have the team surrounding it. And when you don't have full support from your team, it's not going to be successful as well as going into the side of the industry that like we didn't it just wasn't us on so many different levels. Um, so we kind of learned the hard way there. 
but it was also, you know, we got presented an amazing opportunity. You know, I was like, oh, I have this access to the molds. It was one of the first like Reikley molds that whatever. We got access to these molds. So like, there's no tooling charges. If you want to do this, we can work on branding it. We can bring it to market. And we did it, but it was like, I remember we did it for two years and we were getting ready to go into the third year of production and we were kind of at our year end meetings. We're talking about it. And it was just like, we're, what are we doing? You know? And like, like I said, we hadn't lost money on it. We'd put energy and time into it, obviously, but just in terms of like selling versus the cost, everything like that. But we were getting ready to place a pretty big order with it. And it's like, we were just kind of seeing the realities of like, this is a whole different business inside of ours and the team and the energy and everything that needed to be aligned to actually bring to make this a profitable side um, is, is tough. So we ended up pulling the plug and, one of the best decisions you've ever made. I mean, it's it's tough enough to try to make money in this industry, you know, like the perception's so different, you know, like, and we've been lucky enough for like, I mean, over the last like 10 years, like we've made money, which is huge. But I mean, those first 10 years, it was like, what are we doing? Like losing money, way too much money. But um, so- Honestly, man, this, the fact that you fired up a ski boot line and you didn't lose money that sounds like a complete freaking victory to me it is it is a learning experience i mean when i look back on it it was a complete learning experience you know like like i said just tooling you know like normally it's it's a million bucks to get molds made you know what i mean like the fact that that was not a cost you know there was no sunken cost and it's like okay we invest in these molds so we need to sell x amount to make this money back you know and then try to start making money so the fact that there was no setup costs you know like you know, I was really lucky with the team that we had put together to execute that, you know, I guess in Europe. But yeah, the fact that we didn't really lose money on it was was massive. But it was also a huge perspective change of like, first of all, no major decisions unless there's full team alignment, you know. And then the other piece was just like, you know, no more hard goods. I think that's I think that's another thing of just like, you know, people are like, oh, do you want to make like skateboards or sups or anything? I'm like, no no more hard goods, you know, like it's low margin, so much energy, so much competition. It's like, so we're not doing that, you know, but then like about five years ago when we moved to golden, you know, that was kind of a shift with, um, opening our first retail space. So it's like, okay, we're in downtown golden. We have our first retail space and like, and we'd been on a sellout model. So we were selling out of our skis every year. And so it's like, okay, we need something to sell in the summer, you know, like, what are we going to do in the summer and how are we going to, you know, what are we going to create? You know, we can do t-shirts and that type of stuff, or we can try to curate other products in the store, but like as a brand, what do we want to do? And that's when I kind of started looking at swim, you know, I was like, all of us, we were going down to the river in golden and tubing almost every day. And we were just like always on the river, always swimming, just like in the water. And then I was taking a step back and I was kind of looking at the, the majority of like swim brands out there and it's all like ocean surf based, even to Patagonia, you know, like it's all this ocean surf based. And I was just like, God, I see an opportunity right now to create like mountain swim, you know, this idea of like catering to rivers, hot springs, cliff jumping, sup, you know, that type of a, an image and that type of a marketing plan. And it was like, this just feels right, you know? And I kind of aligned it with the team. I was like, here's what I'm thinking. Like, I think we can position a new product line with this, you know, get it made here in the States, you know? So like stay true to the pillars that we built the ski band on. You know, I was like, sustainable materials made in the USA, you know, um, 
return to nature. So it's a way to engage with nature. We're even talking about like one degree Celsius, you know, it's that temperature of change, like from water to ice, but it's also a thawing point too, that fills the rivers and streams and that type of stuff. So we're like, okay, this feels so aligned with our brand. And, um, yeah, so we started doing that. And then also the location, you know, it's like we're based right in Golden. There's so many people there in the summer that are tubing or just like being on the river. So it's just like, this just feels right. Um, and it's been a good, it's been a good um, piece of the brand. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the most profitable thing. It's not making the most money, but it fills that niche. It's a fun, creative outlet. Um, you know, we're not trying to, it's it's also a straight direct to consumer approach. You know, we're not trying to sell this into wholesale. You know, this is available at Icelanticskeys.com and in our space. So it's, you know, not high volume. Um, and, and that's been good. You know, like that's been, there's been team alignment, the, how the community and our customer base has, you know, not only our core ski customer been attracted to it, but then just the customer, the golden retail customer, you know, the people that walk in, I was like, what's Icelandic? You know, it's a, it's a pretty good product line to, um, to do that. So, you know, I think what we really learned from that was just the importance of team alignment, the, the importance of alignment with the brand. Um, and then just kind of seeing the, the opportunity in the, uh, you know, in the space itself. And then, sorry, the artwork, that was the other thing. It was like another key piece of like tying really in the artwork to, to the stuff too. So it's like, when people see it, it's like, oh, this makes sense. It's Icelandic. It's not, you know, too, you know, just basic, you know, so it, it just, it, it felt really good. Um, and it's continuing to feel good. You know, we're, we have some retreats in a couple of weeks and we're going to talk about how does this evolve? You know, like it's become pretty cookie cutter and, you know, we're starting to like, you know, we're starting to like integrate graphics from the skis onto it. You know, this, this upcoming summer will be the first year we've done that, you know, before we'd find a different artist or you know, create different art, but now we're like, you know, the sunflowers we did on the Nia, you know, people love that graphic guys, girls, everyone's like, I love this. I love this. I love this. So like, let's put that on the print on the thing. So like now it's totally aligning with the ski. So I'm excited to see the response from that. And, you know, is that a path that we want to continue to do of, you know, highlighting some featured artwork from the skis onto this, um, this product? No, but I think, you know, when I reflect on just, you know, starting the boot company, learning the learning the lessons there you know starting this mountain swim concept in the summers and seeing the momentum and just like that that's kind of worked it's a cool little niche you know but when i take a step back i was like we don't want to make any more product you know we want to continue to invest in our skis evolve our skis you know just like stay true to that core foundation and evolve it in a positive way but then you know one of our core pieces since we are like young like just at the beginning of starting this brand was just this community engagement and giving people opportunities to really be a part of what we're doing and you know just through customer experience and just different ways to engage with our customer uh, that's what i'm really excited to continue to dig into and look into and see what the potential is um you know, it kind of originally started in, in Denver when we, we made the move from, you know, we were up in Evergreen in the brain in our little studio. And I was like, all right, we're on the market. Time to get out of this Evergreen bubble. Let's go to Denver. So we ended up moving down to the Santa Fe Arts District. And we had an art gallery, showroom, office space. And it was when they were doing the first Friday art walks. And that was amazing. I mean, we would bring in a new artist every month. We'd showcase, we'd have all our skis up, the original paintings, you know, bring in new artists. And then we'd open our doors once a month to the community. And 
it blew up. I mean, we were the most popular gallery on that strip for sure. Like it was crazy. I mean, I mean, we'd have literally over a thousand people be coming through like packed out raging parties. You know, it's awesome. We were in our twenties, just like having a blast, you know, and we were in Denver, you know, and then we evolved, we moved to a battery 621, uh, like kind of a shared workspace, which was really a cool experience too. And kind of like brought this whole first Friday community aspect there. And then it was just like, we did it for about 10 years. And I was like, God, this is kind of exhausting. You know, I was like, and we were like looking at where we, we knew we wanted to get out of battery. It was just looking at different opportunities. And that's when I was like, all right, where should we go? Like we had some really cool opportunities in Denver, kind of on the ground, ground level. But we also, we started talking to the team, like everyone was like, we kind of want to get West. Let's look West. You know, that's when we started looking around golden and we found the space that we're in now. And, um, you know, that's where it's like, okay, we still want to be open to the community. You know, we still want the opportunity for the customer to be able to come in and be a part of what we're doing and like experience and feel what we're doing, but we don't need to throw a big party every month, you know, instead let's have a retail space. People can come in, interact, purchase skis, purchase gear, you know, and that's going to be our new public facing aspect of the business. And that's, that's been successful as well. Just the whole retail side and how that's continuing to grow. But since that, you know, we're starting to kind of tap back into let's how, let's evolve this, you know, let, let's kind of merge these two concepts that we've had. And um, and that's been really fun to kind of just look at how do we continue to evolve that and how do we, you know, build off of what we have going on Golden and start bringing in, you know, you know music, for instance, you know, music's been a key piece of our brand, you know, from Around the Rocks, but. So yeah, I think it's time to talk about Icelandic and music and Winter on the Rocks. When on earth did that idea come up for you? Yeah, I mean, that's been such a fun aspect of the brand. I mean, I can't believe it's been over 10 years of doing that, which is just crazy to think about. But it really started when um, the SAA trade show was making the move from Vegas to Denver. I remember we were in um, we were in Vegas that last year and we were out. I remember it was the same day that we hired Ashley to like be come to move to Colorado and be a full-time salesperson. And we were in this limo going to Old Town and we were with these two girls that were there and they were both representatives from um, AEG Live from Denver. We're like, where are you guys from? We're like, oh, we're from Denver. We're like, oh, we're from Denver too. And they're like, we're out here, you know, recruiting brands to, you know, utilize one of our venues, you know, when the trade show moves to Denver next year. And we're like, oh, this is perfect. Like we've been looking at opportunities like this trade show is moving to our hometown, you know, like we've got to host something. And then that year that we were going to be showing the skis that we're showing at that first show in Denver, the whole artwork theme was on music genres. So we had like each ski was a different music genre and uh, like, let's do a concert. This makes so much sense. So we worked with AEG and we um, had the Ogden theater in downtown Denver uh, booked and we just kind of threw this private party where we hosted dealers. You know, we opened it up to the public as well. So we had a set number of like ways to host our dealers and the media and all that stuff. And then got to sell it to the customer. And it was a huge success. I mean, sold it out. One of the best parties of the show. Like people were so pumped. It was like, wow, this is amazing. So we did that same show the following year. So we did two years at the Ogden. And then we were kind of brainstorming. And we're like, gosh, how cool would it be to do a show at Red Rocks? You know, like a winter show during this. And, um, Sam, who was working with us, he kind of like 
love this idea. He's like, I think I can make this happen. You know, and he was the one really driving the Ogden shows. You know, he was the the main man behind that. So he's like, let's do this. And um, so we went into um, talk to AG and we're like, hey, we got this idea. You know, like, are we crazy? Can we pull this off? I think this guy Chuck Mora, uh, Chuck Morris, not Norris, but he runs AEG in Denver. He's the man. Like he is a legend in the music industry. And we came and kind of pitched him the idea. And he's like, you know what, guys? He's like, I love it. He's like, I think we can make this work. And I mean, there's a lot of hurdles because Red Rocks is actually it's owned by the city of Denver. It's not a private venue by any means, and it's a park. Um, and it's totally winterized. So there's a lot of legalities to like get them to open it, dewinterize it, and let us do this show. So like, I think we can make this work. Um, like we can do this however you want, you know, like if you want, we can, you know, we can take all the risk, reap all the, reap all the reward, you know, you guys can be title sponsors for the lifeline of it. Um, or vice versa, you guys can, you know, take all the risk, reap all the reward and hire us to help execute it. Or we can be 50, 50 and we're like 50, 50. So we ended up going 50, 50 partners with them. And, uh, I'll never forget. Yeah. That first year I was like, all right, what are we doing? You know, we got all the loophole, like we figured it out. And, uh, that first year it was just, it was amazing. I mean, and it's, it's, it's intense. I mean, it's, there's a lot of risk to say the least. I mean, I mean, I can't remember what year it was where like it snowed. I mean, the, behind Red Rocks, there's a big steep hill where the, the trucks go to like load in all the gear. So it's like, if that gets too icy and these trucks can't get up, we have to pull the show, you know? And we'd always hold the first bank center down in like, I don't know, Broomfield. That's owned by AG. So like, we'll put a hold on it that night. So there's no show. So in case we have to pivot, we can go there, but it was a different number of tickets or whatever. But I guess long story short is sold out the show people loved it, you know, like, and now it's just become such a key piece to our brand, you know, not only to be able to host dealers and, you know, media and that type of stuff and have a great celebration, but then also to like introduce and just like in, bring the whole community in. So yeah, we've been really lucky. It's, it's pretty much sold out almost every year and um, just turned into such a iconic event in Denver um, and in the industry, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a personal favorite show? Again, fully subjective. Yeah, just over the years, not asking the best, you know, but your personal for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, there's been a few. I think that one of the ones that really stands out was um, uh, Ghostland Observatory and Jurassic 5. And that was like, the music was awesome, but the environment was insane. Like it was snowing that year, but there was no wind. It was just like this ambiance of like being in Red Rocks with it snowing and the lights and the lasers. I mean, it felt like you're on a different planet. It was insane. And it wasn't cold. There's no wind. So it was just like, wow. And so that one really stood out. Um, Macklemore, like the year before was when we had Macklemore and like we just nailed that timing. I mean, it was yeah. crazy. Like yeah. we got him for so cheap. <laughs> And like, it was right before thrift shop, like blew up and all that stuff. So like, I mean, it was the biggest show that he had played at that time. So he was so pumped to do it. So that the Macklemore show was really fun. Um, and I think just the first one, it was like atmosphere common and I can't remember who else. So like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, there's been one of the worst years. So it was like Rick Ross. <laughs> that was the, that was a tough year. It was a really tough year. I mean, we we had lost two headliners, you know, within months of it. I mean, I think the first thing I'd say is like, I'm very grateful 
I don't work in the music industry all the time because it is cutthroat. It is just like, it is very frustrating to execute things there. Like, if, thank God we work with AEG to help get this stuff going. But like, it's just, it's so expensive. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're getting bids from artists. It's, it's tough what they ask. Um, but uh, yeah, the Rick Ross one, we had a couple, like, I can't remember. We had Run the Jewels. I, I don't know if I'm should be talking about it's past though but like we had them locked in but then they got um contracted go on tour with lord and they're playing a pepsi center show so they had to cancel so it's like oh man and then we we got um uh mac miller and it was like oh mac miller perfect we we brought it to market because the run the jewels thing fell apart before we even brought it to you know started selling tickets we're like mac miller perfect people were pumped we we start selling tickets it's selling great and then like a month before the show, we get a call from management. He can't do it. He really, he's on drugs, you know, and he ended up passing away, which is crazy to think about. But this was kind of the, the beginning. It's like, can't do it, had to pull out. So we're sitting there we're like, oh my gosh, we had sold tickets. We had done all this stuff. And it was like, all right. And it was a scramble, 30 days out, you know, like, who are we getting? Who can headline this thing? And we ended up agreeing on Rick Ross and he came in and they're like, he did his show and it was okay and everything. But like, it wasn't, it was the only year, like it wasn't really sold out. We were like sitting there and I'll never forget, like the show is over, everyone left and I'm sitting in the stands with like Annalisa and Sam and I, and we're sitting there and we're looking at each other like, man, like people had fun, but we just knew. And the other part is too, of like, okay. We're 50-50 partners with AEG. It's great when you just split the profits, but if we ever lose money, we're on the hook for half, you know? So we get done with that show and we're sitting there, we're like, oh gosh, like how much do we owe? You know, how much do we lose? How much are we going to do? And then a few weeks later, we ran all the numbers and we made like $18 and we were just like, <laughs> yes, oh my gosh, we don't lose any money, you know? So wait, oh wait, I, I mean, I would have... I would have assumed Rick Ross would have been as big of a draw as any of the, it was so last minute. Like it was just like, it was just a nightmare. I don't know. On a lot of different levels, it just didn't feel aligned with the brand. It didn't feel aligned with just like, just the whole thing just felt wrong, you know? And then, but the fact that it came full circle is like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. $18. And then the next year it sold out again and we were back, you know, it's like, all right, this is great. You know, cause we literally were like, is it over? Like, are we done with winter on the rocks? Like how much are we losing? And can we even huh. afford to do this again next year? Dude. But it was a little blip. And ever since it's been great. Very serious personal question. Well, personal for me. So run the jewels hasn't been there. I know. Dude, if you make that happen, that's probably if you said any concert, any performers on earth right now, that's probably my number one. Dude, make Dude, it happen. It's been my number one for like five years. <laughs> we are trying. <laughs> Sam's going to kill me for even just talking about this, but it's true. It's like, oh my gosh, like we've had it and it's fallen apart. And it's, I mean, it's just like COVID. There's been a whole, whole thing. So like, it's just not falling into place with them, which is just so frustrating because we've had them kind of like locked in a couple times. And for some reason or another, it just hasn't hasn't happened. But you're a big fan and as now, well. And then they would start in 200. Oh, huge fan. Huge fan. Like for many years. I've been pushing Run the Jewels. I'm like, when do you get Run the Jewels? We need to get them for like, I mean, I don't even know how many years. Probably like eight years, you know. 
And but like I said, the music industry is just tough. So it's it's such a fine line of like finding the right fit, you know, that has the pull that's not crazy expensive. Because that's the other thing. This is really considered a one-off event. So it's not like these at these athletes, these musicians are touring and it's just like a stop on the tour it's a it's a pull so it's a lot more expensive um to book them but one day maybe maybe we'll get run the jewels one I day will, i will <laughs> you'll get a ticket be, for sure <laughs> yeah i will i know yeah i will be hounding you like mad um i oh. they, i love them i love them oh me too like so yeah. much like from forever too yeah. like i've listened to lp like way yeah. back in the day when it was you know with definitive jokes and then, you know, all of, you know, killer Mike mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah, I'm a huge fan. And then watching them come together, it's like two of these amazing MCs that have so much talent. I'm just so proud of them to like, Oh, that they combine forces and actually kind of blew yep. up and are being recognized for their skill yeah. set. You know, it's like, so yeah, yeah. maybe one maybe day, one day. <laughs> Keep the dream. I always say, I'm like talking to them. Like, if you can just give me their number, I will talk them into doing it. <laughs> There's so many levels of management yeah. and agents. And, you know, it's like, you're not talking to the artist. I mean, until you're at the uh-huh. show, which is always fun. Huh. But dude, yeah. I feel like you should be way less cheerful and far more just like chain smoking, nervous wreck, <laughs> like hearing you talk about all the different things that you've sort of navigated through the business. And, and I mean, yeah, putting on an event, the size of, a concert at Red Rocks and, you know, even with a, even a, you know, minimal understanding of the complexities and headaches of working in the music world, that all sounds too, too much. You should be a chain smoker, bags under your eyes, just sad and depressed. I don't know what's, this is, um, something's wrong with you or you have like a, just, we all need, we all need your disposition. I mean, truly the execution of Winner on the Rocks really turned into a full-time job. You know, Sam was doing some, you know, apparel design with me and he was helping with a variety of things in the Icelandic. You know, he'd been there for years too. And then Winner on the Rocks came and next thing you know, it was like 90% of his time was executing that, you know, getting sponsors, you know, working AG, getting things booked, just executing that thing, that concert. So then I don't know how many years ago it was, a few years ago, we kind of came to that realization. It was like, you and and then how he has established himself in that industry in the music industry in this event side he's just blossomed so it's like you don't need to like be a full-time Icelandic employee it's like time you know i guess since the beginning this is a good you know since the beginning every person that we've hired first thing i tell them like i don't want to be your boss you know like Atlantic, this is a platform to create, you know like and we need alignment we need to work together and do these things but this is a platform to grow from and Sam's a perfect example of that. You know, he's kind of taken what we've learned and got to that point. I was like, all your energy is going towards this. Let's change it and let's become partners on Winner of the Rocks. And it'll give you the freedom to explore other opportunities while still staying true and, you know, hosting this event with us. And it's been so fun to watch him just continue to grow from that where, you know, he's still doing Winner of the Rocks and we're doing all the partnerships for us. But it's also given the opportunity to do a whole variety of other, you know, concerts or, uh, you know, activations or, you know, kind of all over. So it's pretty cool, but it is a, it's a lot of work to execute that, that piece. You know, people are always like giving me the credit, like great work, Ben. I'm like, no. I just show up, <laughs> you know, I'll go on stage and say, thank you. But, you know, in terms of the legwork of actually, you know, 
executing it. I'll be in the key, like just the conversations of who are we going to book and how, you know, that type of decision. But when it comes down to the legwork of actually executing the event, it's, uh, it's Sam. Hmm. I want to let you get going, but before I do talk to me a bit about what you and the team is most excited about these days. I mean, you mentioned <laughs> maybe not sheer excitement, probably some trepidation overhauling the the nomad line. That's a big deal. Um, so you're, you're currently working on that. Yep. Yeah. We're currently working on that. Um, kind of been working this past year. We'll be working next year. So that, that'll probably be on the market in what season is that the 24, 25 season. So yeah, so we're looking at unveiling that then. So that's that's really exciting. You know, we're we're so excited just to like revamp it and just the direction, you know, what we have so far too, just in the prototyping phase, we're so excited about from our athletes to some of our core customers to, you know, our internal team. We're we have a really good direction there. So product side, that feels really good just to work towards that evolution. Um, you know, continuing to look at these community experiences, you know, everything from you know, bigger picture to like, you know, this year we um, did a thing called Heligrass where we worked with, uh, you know, Heli operation up in uh, BC and brought some amazing musicians. It was like Mark Morris, one of our athletes, and then um, Kang from String Cheese and um, Lesh from Cal or California Honey Drops. And there's one other one and Scotty Ramirez from the Rope Doctors. <laughs> so they all went up there and it's like this really intimate, you know, I can't remember, 20 people, you know, heli skiing all day and then come down and just jamming out in the lodge. You know, it was it was really cool. You know, the question is, can we make this sustainable? Like it didn't really make any money. It was a cool experience. So like we're starting to look like, OK, how can we take these type of experiences, something like that exclusive and cool and potentially grow on that? You know, the other side is sailing. You know what Ashley has done with you know, they're calling it rhythm and sales now. So sailing, we've been, you know, sailing as a company for the last, you know, 12 plus years and just been a, such a key part of our lives and our, in our, you know, business perspective. So many people look at us and it's like, what do you guys do all the sailing? How are you doing this and everything? So, you know, he's kind of taken this opportunity and is growing a, a branch of a business to like host that. It's actually happening right now. I think today is actually the last day of it. So two weeks musicians, you know, a bunch of the green sky guys and like a whole variety of string dusters. So a lot of cool musicians traveling, you know, sailing these islands and, and then playing with like the locals. So it's like, you'll roll into these little islands. It's all the like local islands with their drums, everything mixing with bluegrass. And it's, it's an amazing experience. Um, so we're continuing to explore, you know, is there a, is there a path for our business to like tap into that type of an experience and share with our customers? Um, and that's, you know, it is an elite experience, but we also want to make more, you know, digestible, affordable, you know, experience as well. So, you know, we're talking about just at, um, in Golden, you know, last Tuesday, this happened last night. I was thinking about it. I'm like, we need to do Icelandic patio sessions. And it was a, you know, when we had our melt the ice sale, I don't know, a month ago or so. It was such a good community event. You know, it was open up, you know, come in, get sale, you know, buy skis, get clothes, whatever. But then we had, you know, Mark Morris and, you know, he did Mark and Maggie. They had a little pop-up music on the patio. And then Paul, one of the guys from Green Sky Bluegrass popped in too, which was awesome. So like this super cool, intimate, you know, acoustic music on the patio, the whole garden, the whole 
space was just like full and it was just like there was families it was just like such a good feeling and a good vibe and i was leaving that i'm like we need to tap back into this you know it, it same thing it aligns with the brand with the music aspect that we're tied into it's kind of bringing back this kind of the first friday type concept without having a raging party every month you know it's inviting people in our space it's going to sell product and it's just going to build community and it's free you know so like that concept i'm we're literally going to have our team meetings or like, like next month and i'm going into it like with this goal and like Icelandic patio sessions, we could do it once a month through the summers, probably through October. It's a live concert for the customer, for the community. But then we also like film it too. So like at least the first three songs of like, let's go and we'll document the first three songs, similar to like a tiny desk concert and, you know, and have content that we're putting out through YouTube or whatever channel and these like really intimate experiences. Um, and I think we have the network to pull some like pretty legit musicians to be a part of that as well so i don't know there's a lot in the works right now but um all kind of exciting stuff exciting stuff just growing i love it i love i love the energy i love the ideas the exploration of where this can go and um yeah i mean you know it's a business you've already talked about some of these things you get cavalier about some of this stuff and you know it can end up being kind of a haymaker to the chin but um i really appreciate the enthusiasm about this you know i there's an element of the ski industry and i know you know what i'm talking about with what i'm about to say you know some folks have maybe been in it too long some folks you know the the passion has diminished a bit or a lot over the years. And I think it's really refreshing. I don't sense that at all from what you're describing, you know? Um, and frankly, the cheerfulness of some of the darker times that you have been yeah. through, that's, you know, I, I, I might try to take a, you know, take a note or two from you, but it's, it's cool. And um, I always appreciate talking to people that are, staying up, heads up, looking around the next thing, looking for interesting opportunities that do kind of circle back and just create cooler things for a community, their community, broader communities and the rest. And um, so, um, yeah, man, I, I really appreciate you walking through this, uh, this, this path you've been on. And uh, yeah. I mean, and just, I mean, it definitely has not been easy. You know, the fact that I still have the excitement and have this drive and just, you know, thinking of new ideas is is critical because it's challenging to say the least, you know, like, I, you know, one of the biggest stressors now is just costs. You know, I mean, these last few years, like just cost of goods, the inflation, like all that. I mean, it has been so challenging to try to navigate. And now like looking into next year, I mean, next year is going to be a very challenging year. You know, sales are down, retail's restricting, you know, like all these things are happening and it's, it's industry wide. It's also the ski industry, you know, so it's, it's really good to put in perspective to, to some of our, you know, younger employees now they're like, okay, how are we going to navigate this? I'm like, we've been through lots, you know, this is the ski industry. It, there's highs and lows, you know, it's like, stay true, stay nimble, stay creative. And most importantly, have fun with it, you know, like First of all, we're selling fun. You know what I mean? Like, have fun with it. And now you we have the opportunity to be creative. You know, people are like, what's your favorite aspect of 
what you do. And I'm like, the creativity is the best. We can literally come up with an idea and go for it if we want. You know, what we've learned is that got to have that team alignment. I have plenty of ideas, you know, and sometimes I run with it, uh, going rogue and run, run by myself and those don't work out. But it's like, okay, getting team alignment, getting everyone buying in, understanding your roles and responsibilities to, to execute a vision, you know, that's exciting, you know, and it just creates so much growth, you know, not only for the brand, but then as individuals, you know crazy that we st- you know that we're all like i mean not all of us but like you know started in our early 20s now we're in our early 40s and like whoa I, lo- I literally look at the last 20 years and it is such a blur people are like what year did this happen i'm like it could be two years ago it could be 10 years yeah, ago i no don't idea. know i'm like it, i literally it's such a blur <laughs> but it's been fun and i'm excited for the next phase you know hmm. ben thank you great to connect on this one and we'll do it again sometime and uh good luck you know out there in whitefish uh with the with the burgeoning family and uh and, and everything else you got going on and um last last thought here go get run the jewels man i know i was that was gonna be my last thought you're the first ticket we get them oh man i want it so bad <laughs> so bad I know. Take care. Take care. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Ben for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Remember to check out our Blister Plus membership, which comes with that $25,000 worth of injury insurance per incident Get yourself signed up and then go get after it. All right, everybody, next week on the Blister Podcast, Cody Townsend will be back to review the news with me. And then this week, of course, we're dropping a number of excellent conversations over on our Off the Couch podcast, our crafted podcast. We've got bikes and big ideas. And then this coming Friday, We've got part three of Bikes versus Skis. So lots going on over here, as always. Check it out. Hope you enjoy it. And we will talk to you real soon.